And thank you for tuning in to our sermon podcast from Connect Church. We'd like to invite you to join us in person at 1101 West Grand in Ponca City, Oklahoma, or on Facebook Live. Go to connectchurchpc.com to learn more about how we are helping people connect every day. We are a people, connected people, all in God's love. So for those of you who've been around with us for a while, this is my all-time favorite video. Gumption is the character to commit and complete. If the kids want to be dismissed to go with Pastor Kenny backstairs for, for Kids Church. So eight years ago, we did a, a message series called Gumption, and um, I, I've been looking for an opportunity to, to bring it back. And in fact, I've had opportunities to, to uh, speak on it when I speak at graduations and, and everything. But I said, hey, I'm bringing it back. And Terry, this, this week, when I told her I was bringing it back, and she goes, you know, you brought back the circle maker, and now you're bringing back Gumption. Are you ever going to write an original sermon ever again? And I said, yes, I commit to that, and I will complete it. Get it? Gumption is the character to commit and complete. Thank you. I'll be here all week. But we're going to talk about that, that commitment, that initial step that, that you have to take in order to, to be committed. And sometimes the first step is always the hardest. And next week, we'll talk about the last step actually being the hardest. But you've got to make a commitment. You've got to start somewhere. You've got to say, you know what? I am going to start. And, and so at the beginning of every, every year, people make New Year's resolutions. And by about the third week of the year, people have broken 90% of their New Year's resolutions. And we're like, man, why, why can I just not keep up with this? Why can I not keep it going? It seems like I can never commit and finish this out. And I just want, to, want you to know the first thing we have to do is decide where we're going. There was a uh, philosopher, we'll, we'll call him Dr. Seuss. Dr. Seuss says, did I ever tell you about the young Zode who came to a sign of the fork in the road? He looked one way and the other way too. The Zode had to make up his mind what to do. Well, the Zode scratched his head and his chin and his pants and he said to himself, I'd be taking a chance. If I go to place one, that place may be hot, so how will I know if I like it or not? On the other hand, though, I'll feel such a fool if I go to place two and find it's too cool. In that case, I may catch a chill and turn blue. So place one may be best not, and not place two. Play safe, cried Zode. I'll play safe. I'm no dunce. I'll simply start off in both places at once. And that's how Zode, who would not take a chance, went to a, no place at all with a split in his pants. What is it like 
to go the middle road, to, to not take a chance, to not, to, to not go out there. You see, gumption is the character to commit and complete. And when we hear about gumption, we hear about these, this challenge, we're like, man, I, I like that, I want to be all in, but the work and the, and the time it takes to get involved in it. Real quick, I don't know if you guys have been following along, but we have recently redesigned our website, connectchurchpc.com, and today is the first day that we are actually casting our message on our website at live.connectchurchpc.com, and because of that, we can do something that people have been asking me, why haven't we been doing this for a while? And it's showing video clips to help tell the message of Jesus Christ. Because we've been, Facebook started all of a sudden saying, well, we're going to shut you down and YouTube would, would freeze our stuff and you can go in there and you can apply and say, well, I've got this license and that license. But they don't accept your video licenses, which we have all these video licenses. Then they can lock your channel up. And it wasn't something I wanted to fight. But now, because we are posting it on our website, it's being redistributed to Facebook and YouTube, we can once again go back to movie clips. And I know you guys are excited, aren't you? Yeah. I, I, I went to a, a disc golf tournament yesterday with Jack and Asher. And uh, I told Asher, I said, yeah, we're bringing back movie clips. And he goes, wow, it's about time. But when we, when we look at what it means to have gumption, the, the train and develop, I, I want to I take you into a scene in... The new Karate Kid, which it's really crazy because it has nothing to do with karate, it's about Kung Fu, but they call it the Karate Kid. But he has this training montage in which you see how much work he put into it. Watch this with us. like 
to train physically and, and, and structure your body physically to do stuff like that. I, I can't even imagine. I, just to let you guys know, I cannot do the splits anymore. I know you're disappointed in that. and are like, man, we'd like to see you try. Not even going to try. But physically, what is it like, or spiritually, what is it like for us to train our spiritual being and say, you know what, I, I'm going to focus myself, I'm going to lean into this, I'm going, to, I'm going to study what it is to be all I can be, all that God has created me to be. And so spiritually, I am going to train myself, and I am going to discipline myself. In Judges chapter 6, the book of Judges is all about the Israelites that now taken over to the, the promised land, but then it says that they did what was right in their own eyes. They had no law. They had no government. Whatever you felt was right or wrong, you just basically self-governed. But the Israelites had this problem is they would be serving God and on fire for God, and then their children's generation would be kind of lukewarm toward God. They'd be kind of uh, neither hot nor cold. And then the third generation would be totally apostate. They didn't even care about God. They didn't worship God. They didn't do any of that. And then God would have to bring in a judge, bring in a, 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 a revivalist to bring them back to God. And so they just kept doing the circle thing. I know we talked about the circle makers being a praying circles, but sometimes if your life is doing this, you need to make a change. We need to challenge ourselves. But in Judges chapter 6, verse 1, the Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight. So the Lord handed them over to the Midianites for seven years. The Midianites were so cruel that the Israelites made hiding places for themselves among the mountains, caves, and strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, marauders from Midian, Amalek, and the people of the east would attack Israel, camping in the land, destroying the crops as far as Gaza. They left the Israelites with nothing to eat, taking all the sheep, goats, cattle, and donkeys. These enemy hordes coming with their livestock and tents were as thick as locusts, and they arrived on droves of candles too numerous to count, and they stayed until the land was stripped bare. So Israel was reduced to starvation by the Midianites, and the Israelites cried out to the Lord for help. They were saying, every time we plant our crops, this enemy horde comes in, and they take all of our food. We, we can't even survive because every time we start to get a, a, a step forward, every time we start to get a, a leg up, they come in and take everything that they have. They are taxing us beyond our ability to stay up. And so they cried out to God. They said, we need help. We need help. Have you ever been there with God where you said, God, I just need help? Have you ever been there and said, you know, if God doesn't show up, then we are in deep doggy doo-doo. That's a theological word. The Greek word for that is skublon, in case you're trying to keep up. It truly is. You're saying, God, I need you to show up. This is where the Israelites were. They were finally starting to cry out to God, saying, God, we need your help. We need your help. We are so sorry that we turned our back on you. And the entire time, God's saying, come on, guys. If you would just stay true, my protection, my blessing would be upon you. But they cried out to the Lord for help. Verse 7, when they cried out to the Lord because of Midian, the Lord sent a prophet to the Israel, Israelites. He said, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I brought you up out of slavery in Egypt. I rescued you from the Egyptians, from all of the oppressed you. I drove out your enemies and gave you their land. I told you, I am the Lord your God. You must not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you now live, but you have not listened. You have not listened. 
Have you ever told somebody the same thing over and over again and they just don't listen? Everybody's pointing at somebody else. Yeah, yeah, I tell them that all the time. They are not listening to me. We, we, we find ourselves, and that's, that's where God is saying is, I am wearing myself out telling you over and over and over again, stay true to me, stay true to me, stay true to me. On Wednesday night, Lance said, Dad, I need you to, to help me with my math. He said, I've got all the answers, but I need to show my work. What he didn't tell me is that he didn't get the answers by himself. <laughs> and I'm assuming, hey, just go back and do whatever you did, just, just write it down so you can hand in your work. And he, I mean, he's becoming adamant that he needs my help. And I'm looking, I'm like, you don't need my help. You just need to go back and do exactly what you did to find the answers. And at this time, Terry's now, she's chiming in, she goes, Mark, if Lance asks you for help, he needs help. And I'm like, no, he doesn't need help. Well, I sit down with him and found out that the teacher gave him the answers, but wanted them to figure out how to find the answers. And so I sit down there and I start working with them, and, and I love math. Math is my love language. And so, if you ever just want to, want to speak truth in my life, just come up to me and say two plus four equals, or two plus two equals four. If you can rattle off pi to the 15th decimal point, I mean, I, I will think you are so amazing. And, and so, yeah. And so Lance and I are doing this, and, and I said, Lance, I said, didn't you do this last spring? And he looks at me and goes, Dad, it's been a long summer. <laughs> do you ever feel that way? Spiritually? It's been a long summer. And that's, God is now speaking to the Israelites, and he said, guys, I've already been through this mathematical equation with you. I've already been through this training montage with you. By now, you should be able to kick your foot up above your head, ring that bell, do all these things. But you keep stumbling over the basic stuff. Pastor Kenneth came in this morning, and, and uh he walks into my office, flexes his bicep, and goes, look, I've been working out with Hunter, and now you can see definition. I'm like, that is awesome. I said, should I start finding somebody to train my body? And he's like, yeah, you really do. You need somebody to train your body. He didn't say that. But when you have someone who's training you, someone who's coaching you, and what would happen if Kenneth were to go and on the weekend just start feeding himself donuts and sugary foods and all this stuff. Every Tuesday, he'd be like, oh, this is a nightmare. I can't do this. Gumption is the character to commit and complete. The prophet said, if you would only listen to God, if you would only follow God, but God hadn't forgotten about him. Then the angel of the Lord, verse 11, came and sat beneath the great tree of Ophrah, which belonged to Joash of the clan of Abiezar. Gideon, son of Joash, was threshing wheat at the bottom of the winepress to hide the grain from the Midianites. The angel of, Port, uh, of the Lord appeared to him and said, Mighty hero of the Lord, the Lord is with you. Mighty hero? What? Okay, you got to understand this. Gideon was the youngest in his family. His, fam his family was the 
the, the smallest family in his clan. His clan was the weakest clan in his tribe, and his tribe was the smallest tribe in all Israel. And God comes to him and says, mighty hero. Oh, and by the way, Gideon is hiding out and threshing wheat so that nobody would find him. And God says, mighty hero. Gideon's like, uh, I think you got the wrong person. I, I think you're looking for somebody else. Um, I will call the mighty hero and let him know that you're looking for him. Now, let me be so I can hide out here and thresh my wheat. God made no mistake. When, when God speaks into your life and he calls you, but what he knows you are, he is not making a mistake. And, and so the gumption to commit, what are the stages? First of all, you've got to pick it up. So Gideon had to get up out of that wine press and say, okay, I'm going, to, I'm going to follow you. And it's so funny how, how Gideon reluctantly followed God's calling in his life. So Gideon goes out and goes, I'm not really sure that God's calling me, so I'm going to put some tests out there. And if God can pass all these tests, then I know that he's, following, that he's calling me. He says, I'm going to lay a fleece out on the ground. And if the ground is wet and the fleece is dry, I know that God's calling me. And he wakes up the next morning and there's dew all on the ground, but the fleece is dry. Gideon's like, I'm really not sure that's a sign. So then the next night he goes to bed, he says, now, if I wake up in the morning and the fleece is wet with dew and the ground is dry and I can fill up a bowl with the dew, then I know that God is calling me. He wakes up the next morning, the fleece is wet and the ground is dry, and Gideon's like, ah, dadgummit. I didn't want to be called. I didn't want to be used. I just wanted to go and hide out. But in verse 34, the Spirit of the Lord took possession of Gideon. He blew a ram's horn to call the arms. The men in the clan of Abiezar came to him. Now, I want you to know, all this time, Gideon is doing things in hiding. He doesn't really want to be seen. He doesn't really want to be used. But then God comes upon him, and the Spirit of the Lord uses him, and he blows the ram horn that's calling everybody to the battle. Their first question, which isn't listed here in your verses, are, what are you doing? Have you ever been bold and everybody came up around you and said, what are you doing? I, I was fine and, and, and Gideon, now you're calling us to the, the, the arms. What are you doing? You see, the Midianite army was 100,000 strong. Gideon calls an army together. You know how many people showed up to the fight? 32,000. 32,000 people in, in Judges 7-3, therefore all the people are timid. But, but God says, you know, 32,000 is way too many. He says, it's time to, to whittle down the troops. And he said in verse 3, therefore tell all the people, whoever is timid or afraid may leave the mountain and go home. So 22,000 of them went home, leaving only 10,000 who were, who were willing to fight. You start with 32,000. God says you have too big of an army. They have 100,000. Now, again, remember, my love language is math. Basically, they're already outnumbering you three to one. And I, I'm sure Gideon was no army expert. He, didn't, he, he wasn't from Sparta. He didn't have this idea of, here's how we're going to do this. And he goes, okay, um, all right. If you're scared, if you're chicken, if you don't want to fight, go home. And 22,000 people, have, I'm just going to tell you right now, I probably would have been one of the 22,000 people to leave. <laughs> Sorry, wife's pregnant, got to go. Sorry, uh, 
I understand my kids are going to get married someday soon. I want to be a grandpa. I've got to go. In case you're wondering, if you keep me score at home, my wife's not pregnant. Just thought I'd throw that out there for you. Yeah, a great way to announce that, that Terry's expecting a child. The entire time, Lance is going, yes, a baby brother. Sorry, Lance, no baby brother. But then God comes to me and says, you still have too many troops. Now, okay, okay, again, let's go back to math. 100,000, you're left with 10,000 troops. What are the odds now? 10 to 1. God says, you still have too many troops. Then Gideon took his warriors down to the water, and the Lord told him, divide the men into two groups. In one group, put all those who cup water in their hands and lap it up with their tongues like dogs. In the other group, put all those who kneel down and drink with their mouths to the stream. Only 300 men drank from their hands. The others got down on their knees and drank with their mouths in the stream. He, he's saying, now they get down their bellies, and they just start lacking it up. Send them home. Send them home. Now he's left with 300 men. At this point, as a commander of the Lord's army, I'm like, I'm out. I'm out, I'm out, I'm out. You should have left me alone. I was fine where I was. Can I just stop? You see, he picked it up. He said, God, I, I trust you. Now he's got to play it out. And, and the entire time God is saying, do you trust me? Do you trust me? In our lives, we will have things that will stop us from being obedient to God. What keeps us from committing to God? Well, first of all, fear. We're afraid of what people will say. We're afraid of what people will think about us. A young pastor at a new church saw this guy on his way out. The guy would come in late, sit at the back, and, and leave early before anybody would get there. Wouldn't show up for anything extra. And if there's anything special going on in the community, he didn't show up. And so the pastor caught him on the way out one day. And he said, sir, do you want to be a member of the Lord's army? And he goes, well, I already am. He goes, oh, really? He goes, yep, I'm a part of the secret service. We have fear that cancels us, fear that stops us, fear that, that limits us. We're like, man, I, I'm afraid of what would happen if I stepped out in faith. I'm afraid of what would happen if I followed God. I am afraid. Well, the other stopper is procrastination. You know, what's wrong with procrastination? I mean, we can always do it tomorrow, right? In fact, my wife absolutely loves it when the boys and I procrastinate something. In fact, she has an entire diary page written up to it, how great it is when her boys say, can we do that tomorrow? Jack, can you, can you uh, load and unload the dishwasher? And he starts singing the Little Orphan Annie song. Tomorrow, tomorrow, I love you tomorrow. Lance, can you clean up your bedroom? Tomorrow. Can you clean the bathroom? Tomorrow. Can you take out the trash? Tomorrow. You see, sometimes we would love to get in the fight, but can we just push it off a little bit further? Can we just say tomorrow or next week or, or maybe next time? The greatest basketball player ever is Michael Jordan. A few years ago, the question was, and people are always asked this question, why don't we have any more Michael Jordans? Why are not people showing up and doing what Michael did 
And Nike came out with this great commercial. Watch this with us. Maybe it's my fault. Maybe I led you to believe it was easy when it wasn't. Maybe I made you think my highlights started at the free throw line and not in the gym. Maybe I made you think that every shot I took was a game winner. That my game was built on flash and not fire. Maybe it's my fault that you didn't see that failure gave me strength, that my pain was my motivation. Maybe I led you to believe that basketball was a God-given gift and not something I worked for every single day of my life. Maybe I destroyed the game. Or maybe you're just making excuses. Maybe it's my fault. Or maybe you're just making excuses. We look around and say, man, you know, there, there's hard work that's involved, and, and, and I just don't want to put in the work, and it seems too hard, it seems too, too, too big. And so then we sit down to making excuses. Gumptions that getting apart, and therein lies the secret. The moment you begin to commit, significant things begin to happen. Each day you wake up and say, no, today's going to be the day that I do this. A, the, the, a leaves the B and B leaves the C, but that, that first moment of making it a daily process of saying, I'm going to get up and I'm going to do this. Significant things begin to happen. The moment you say, no, today I'm going to get up, I'm going to read my Bible, and I'm going to pray, and in the first couple of days it's really hard, but after a while it just becomes a part of breathing. If you say to yourself, you know what, I'm going to get involved, I'm going to serve, and the first couple of times you're like, man, I'm really scared. What is this going to look like? What is it going to be like to step out in faith? What is it going to be like to follow God? But the moment you make a, a commitment, significant things begin to happen because after a while it starts fueling itself. And you start getting excited about it. And you're like, Wow. We can do this. Gumption fuels itself and gumption re rewards itself. Here's the problem. Passivity does the same thing. If you say every day, you know, I just want to sit on the sidelines. I, I, just, I just want to sit there. I don't want to do anything. I, after a while, it becomes easy to sit on the sidelines. And it becomes who we are. W.H. Murray said, until one is committed, there is hesitancy. The chance to draw back, always ineffectiveness concerning all acts of initiative and creation. There is one elementary truth, the ignorance of which kills countless ideas and splendid plans, that the moment one indefinitely commits oneself, then providence moves too. All sorts of things occur to help that would never otherwise have occurred. A whole stream of events issue from the decision, raising in one's favor all manner of unforeseen events, meetings, materials, assistance, which no one could have dreamed would have come their way. Terry's favorite scripture verse in the entire Bible is Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 through 9. It says, Don't be misled. 
You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. Here's what he's saying. Paul says, if you plant corn, guess what you're going to harvest? Corn. Oh, great, great job. If you harvest wheat, what are you going to, what are you going to, I mean, if you plant wheat, what are you going to harvest? Wheat, right. It, 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 it always happens that way. I didn't realize this until I married a farmer's daughter, but you only harvest what you plant. I'm like, that is the craziest thing ever. At our house, I plant grass. And every Saturday, guess what I harvest? Grass. Yeah, hey. Verse 8 says, those who live only to satisfy their sinful nature will harvest decay and death from that sinful nature. But those who live to please the Spirit will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. Here it is. You ready for it? So let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we just don't give up. How many times in our lives do we give up right before we receive the blessing? How many times in our lives do we start tapping out, saying, I'm done, I can't do this anymore, I can't go any further, not realizing that victory is right on the other side? Before I, I ever ran a, a marathon, I was talking to, to uh, my dentist and his wife, and they had run several marathons, and she said, do you know how many people, because a marathon is 26.2 miles, and she said, do you know how many people stop at mile 26 and don't finish the marathon? And I'm like, but you can see the finish line. My all-time favorite athlete is Tim Tebow. In 2011, Jack and I went and watched the Broncos play. Tim Tebow was the starting quarterback. Still one of the most thrilling games I've ever seen in my life. But a couple years ago, Tim Tebow was giving a speech at pa Passion Conference in Atlanta, Georgia. And I'm going to show you a clip of that speech, and I'm going to tie it all together for you. In 94... He won the Pulitzer Prize for this photo. Four months after this, he chose to end his life. This young girl, she's on her way from her village to a feeding center, and she's so malnourished, and she's moving so slow that this vulture is waiting to attack. So the young man that took this picture, he, he wanted to do good, he just, he wasn't sure, so he was told because of some of the sicknesses in the areas, don't touch anybody, don't do anything, and so he didn't. He didn't. He did nothing. Because apparently the cost was too much. Four months after this, he chose to end his life. You see, every single one of us, we have a chance to be successful in life. And you know what? I hope you are. I really do. I, I hope you're successful. There's nothing wrong with being successful. But success is just about you. But significance is about other people. You see, that man that took that picture, he had success. 
That's one of the greatest honors a photographer could ever have. But obviously it wasn't enough. It wasn't enough. So what's gonna be enough for you? You see, success is great. You can do a lot of things with it, but it's not gonna be fulfilling. But when you have a life of significance and you can never forget that sense of urgency that it's not about your timeline, it's about their timeline. While you might have 30, 40, 50 years, they have days, minutes, moments. She had moments, but it wasn't worth it to go pick her up. It wasn't worth it to give her a hug. Yeah, I won a Pulitzer Prize, but what does it matter? What does it matter? It doesn't. And I think the greatest tragedy in life is we're gonna look back one day and say, I was successful in things that don't matter. I want you to be successful, but more than anything, I want you to be significant and that will be fulfilling, that will be life-changing, it will be life-giving. But I wanna encourage you, don't let it stop now. Don't let it stop here. There's a world that needs you. There's a family that needs you. There are people that need you. It's my biggest goal in life. It's to stand on the line every day, all day, in this room, I believe you're going to have a life significance. What does it mean to be significant? I, I know that we, are, we all chase success and we all define, well, I want to be this, I want to be that. But significance will live long past us and godly significance, holy significance will transform a generation. It will transform a nation. It will transform for generations to come if we would stand in the gap and say, you know what? I want my children to know that at this moment, I said, I am following God no matter what. I have the gumption not just to commit, but as we'll talk about next week, I'm going to have the gumption to complete it all the way through to run to the finish line. I want to live the life that God has called me to. This school year, Make a commitment to worship weekly. To get in the habit and say, you know what? I'm going to worship God weekly. I'm going to set aside a day, and that's going to be my time with God. And I'm going to come to the community of faith, and I'm going to worship God, and God is going to transform me. I'm going to read my Bible daily. When we read the Bible, significant things begin to happen because the Word of God pours into us. I'm going to reach somebody. I'm going to tell someone, I'm going to invite someone, hey, come to church with me, come to Epic with me, come to, to, come to my small group with me, but come and see what God is going to do in your life. Join me. And then serve consistently. Consistency is one of the most undervalued Things that you can do. Consistency. Gumption is the character to commit and complete. Would you pray with me? Dear God, I just ask right now, Lord, that you would speak to our, our midst, God, speak to our lives. 
Help us, Lord, to, to follow you. Help us, God, to, to live in that calling that you have for us. Lord, I pray right now that you would just raise us up. We pray this in your holy name. Amen. We are a people.